Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. All right, y'all, we're back. Welcome back to another edition of Try Beginner's Luck. I just had a whole moment with myself <laughs> with Zoom and everything because people are still working virtually. I don't know about you, but I literally just had probably a two or three minute conversation to blur the background, to not blur the background. Do I put my avatar up and let my avatar talk to you guys? Or do I not put the avatar up and just talk to you guys normal? I'm having a mixed personality day. I don't know. I want to show up as, but what I guarantee you we will do is we're going to have a great show because what? This is always good, at least in my opinion. And because I have a really great uh, person that I get to share with, she's a teammate, former teammate, um, but just doing some incredible things uh, to bring awareness to the sport and particularly for cyclists. But let me give you some back history. So I think it was in 22 when this idea, 22, <laughs> it was 2020 when a lot of social unrest was happening and a lot of people were thinking of some really cool ideas. I'll never forget uh, this young lady said, oh, I learned about these women who took this trek from New York to Washington, D.C., and we're going to do this project, and we're going to call it the Fort Knox 1928 thing. And I was like, oh, that's dope. And then um, uh, a couple of other people, and we took this picture not too long ago with Run Pacers at an event. Uh, uh, and then Freddie was like, well, I'm going to do a marathon around the city and we're just going to celebrate Juneteenth and run a marathon. And then Mike Ship and I was like, well, we're going to have a unity bike ride. And it was just like this movement of Black excellence in Washington, D.C. And it was powerful. And I love when we get to show up and carry out visions and carry out opportunities and create the space for the opportunities because they're not always just, hey, you want to come do this? Why don't you come out? You got to create the space. And so I get the pleasure of being with a, a young woman who creates space so that she can show up and show up well and create opportunities for others to join in while learning a little bit of history too. So Keisha Robinson, y'all, let me tell y'all, I have to say this. This is her words, not mine. She's like, she is, okay. Keisha Robinson, y'all. She is an endurance runner, avid cyclist. She's a coach. I've known Keisha and just, we're going to get into her being a coach. What? I'm blown away. Mental health advocate and kick this. She's somebody's future mama. What? Who? I love it. She told me to say that, that I could say that. She's also on the, arm. how do you say it, Artemis? Okay. 
She's on the art. She's on the Artemis racing team. She's a run ambassador with Pacers and she's a 2022 abundance mini grant recipient founded by Aisha McGowan, who is a dope cyclist in the world. What I love about Keisha is she's a researcher and she did a deep dive. And while she was learning about the history of black cyclists, she stumbled upon the 1928 bicycle trip taken by five women from New York to Washington, DC. In 1928, for those of you who don't know, it was a time when women were fighting for equal opportunities and Black people were fleeing racial terror in the South. So learning about this group of Black women who decided to take a bike trip for the pleasure and their love for the great outdoors, that was inspiring. And history continues and history inspired and that is how the 1928 Legacy Tour sparked major Knox adventures. Ladies and gentlemen, I get to welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, Miss Keisha Robinson. Welcome to Try Beginner's Luck. How you doing? Hey, how are you? I'm excited I, to be here. I'm excited to have you. I think, you know, in seeing you from district triathlon and being in the same club, I was probably MIA a lot of the times just because of work schedule. But uh, I've always appreciated how you've showed up. You've always showed up authentically you, you and your bike. It's like, that's your plate. That's like your homie. I don't know <laughs> if your bike is gender. I don't know the gender fluidity of your bike, but I'm just saying like the homie, right? So Cause you know, my, my bike is a guy, right? Yeah. Listen, it, 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 it fluctuates sometimes. It's my, my, my sis, my baby, like it's gender yeah. fluid. Gender, gender fluid, <laughs> the gender fluidity. Um, but yeah, I just appreciate always how you show up, but you're always educating. So I feel like just you authentically are an educator. And when you came out with the 1928 legacy tour, I was like, well, how, but but that's your mind and how it works. And it was like, I want to uncover more of my history. And um, the richness of seeing five women take a trek back in the 1920s from New York to Washington, DC, OM Google. I want to talk about that because you have a tour coming up and mm -hmm. I want people to be able to learn about what you've done how they can contribute to your cause and perhaps participate next year. Because a lot of the people who participate are fellow triathletes and we'll get to your triathlon journey, but I think this is most prominent to talk about right now. So tell us a little bit more about that, Keisha. Yeah, so um, funny in 2020, you know, we all had time on our hands to like do the things we didn't always get to do. And um, one of the things for me is I'm always very curious about history, um, in particular Black history and, and other groups of colors history, um, because, you know, things were popping up that I'm like, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. I like, especially when I first learned about Major Taylor, I was like, wait, what? How did, how did we not know about this person? Like, it was, it blew my mind, but then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, right. America, racism, white supremacy, like, that's why you didn't learn about it. 
Um, and so like for me, one of the big things is also black women is very are very special to me. And so I'm like, well, I I generally know at this point that if there is an activity or a space, whether it is outwardly seen or verbalized, there tend to be people of color in that space. And so I, you know, biking is kind of like my form of transportation and my sport. Um, so I was very curious around like, well, who are the black women in these spaces? Because I also had gotten very intrigued and excited about the idea of like doing like ultra endurance racing. Um, so like a 24 hour race or multi-day race or something of that nature. And or just even bikepacking. And when I was like going on Google and like trying to search, it was like a lot of the stories that uh, or a lot of people talking about doing these activities were people who didn't look like me, people who had different experience that show up in the world differently than me. And, you know, it was like, OK, I'm learning some things from them. But there are other things that I'm like this. There's there's some other considerations I would have to make as a woman, as a black person. I can't just be rolling up and, and passing through somebody's fields or their backyard and like thinking it's okay. I can't always trust that if I go off on this adventure by myself, that it's going to be safe for me. And so it really got me to want to dig and find out like, okay, are there black women doing this? And, and if there are, who were they? And really to dig into them. And that's when I discovered I found, I should say, um, the story of the five women that rode from New York to DC in a blog post by Dr. Maria McCorder. Um, she had done it for the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And I was just blown away because I was once again, you know, why, why is a story like this not more popular, especially when you know, sometimes it feels like within the space of sports, particularly running and cycling, it's like, oh, people phrase it as if they're making space for us. And that was frustrating because you're finding out like, no, that's, you're not making space for us. We've, we've been there in the shadows. You just chose not to recognize us or you intentionally chose to exclude us. And so from that experience, I was like inspired to take on their challenge because that was the cool thing about their journey is they did it in three days. And when they got to D.C., they set out a challenge for other women to do their tour in less time. And I was never thinking about doing a ride like that. But I was like, well, uh, I guess I am now because my 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 cycling ancestors, my cycling sisters said that uh, I need to do this tour. So I'm doing it. I hit up a really good friend of mine who wasn't even a cyclist. And I said, listen, you're my ride or die. If you say you'll come with me on this journey, I'm going to do it. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, okay, that was really easy. I thought I was gonna have to talk her into it. <laughs> and so then I figured, all right, well, if I didn't have to talk her into this, I wonder if any other women who would be interested in this. And I put out a call and sure enough, other women were interested in, and inspired and were just like me, had never heard of this story, but felt compelled to embark on it. And, you know, from that point on, now we're in our third year of the 1928 Legacy Tour, um, where we honor their ride. And for me, it's more than just a three-day bike tour. It's about amplifying the story of these five women, but the women of Black but the, the story 
of Black women and women of color on bikes, finding joy, finding um, healing, space for, for growth, just all of the elements, sisterhood, you know, like that was, that's the other huge element next to the legacy is a sisterhood that those five women had to experience in their three days. And so um, we have been helping train and prepare women for the last three years to embark on their, on their, on a version of their tour. I admire that so much. How did you come up with Major Knox Adventures as the name? And was that the name that they chose back in 1928? And yeah, let's start there. Yeah, so Major Knox Adventures is a name that I created. Um, a, I wanted something that honored um, Black folks in the outdoors and um, ironically, the two people whose name makes up Major Knox Adventures are cyclists, but we do more than cycling. Um, uh, so Major stands for Major Taylor, Marshall Major Taylor. Uh, the Knox stands for Catherine Kitty Knox, um, another really incredible cyclist from the 19th, uh, late 19th century that a lot of people are still just getting to learn about. Um, and then adventures, because one of the things that is special about these two people and about the other legacies is that they went out on adventures, loved being outside, and for those two, being on their bikes. But for us, it's it's more than just bikes. It's about Black folks outside in spite of all the barriers that make it hard for us to go out on, on an adventure and really pushing ourselves, challenging ourselves, but most of all, finding radical joy. Um, which is a thing that we all need and is, is really special for, for folks of color to be able to experience. It's the joy for me. I'm just saying it's the joy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's the joy. You know, to do things for the joy of it, it definitely changes. Uh, it changes the, the why. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have to do something and there's no joy, it's a struggle. But when you get to do something and you have joy, it's like takes the, the the experience to another level. Yeah, it, I mean, I think one of the things that really inspired me with that, because you know, you, you mentioned twenty twenty, and it's like during that time, like stuff was so heavy, and like Major Knox Adventures is about radical joy, but it didn't actually come from joy. For me, it came out of frustration and fear, because every time I was stepping outside my house during that time. Um, I was either afraid of catching COVID or I was being followed and sexually harassed on the streets. Mm. And that radical part is the essence of like, you know what, these are reasons why not to go outside, but F that I, I should be able to, to experience my, my neighborhood experience, my, my area to be able to, to find joy in these spaces. And so um, it was definitely I had read this book a while ago by uh, Adrienne Marie Brown called Pleasure Activism. Mm -hmm. And in the introduction, she talks about, you know, the essence of pleasure activism. And, you know, in it, they say how, you know, there are more, more than one way to seek liberation. And liberation should include, it should include pleasure and joy. Um, because as, as kind of what you were saying is this idea of like, yeah, we could 
be out in the middle of the streets fighting and arguing and and like that's necessary you know being a disruptor is necessary being a a collaborator is necessary but so is being somebody who just brings lightness to the space and really uh helps people recharge their batteries so that they can keep going and joy and pleasure is a huge part of that recharge that we need to keep showing up as our best selves in this world and resisting yeah. Adrienne Marie Brown, she has this other book called Emergent Strategy. She's a, an impact leader and uh, really fully about bringing people together, unity. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read this book yet, Pleasure Activism, but I'm it on my little audible list. Yes. Now it does. I mean, it also talks about like, I use it in the general sense, of course, pleasure. There are a lot of parts to that book that talk about like sexual pleasure, body pleasure, like all types of pleasure. And so, but again, all very necessary. Um, And it really helped transform the way that I approach the, the work or the, the spaces that I create um, just off of the principles and really, um, yeah, just the, the the ideas that were shared um, through that that piece of work. Thank you for you know clarifying in case some people wanted to know a little bit more about what the book is and and thinking about who she is as an author. She's a very um, fluid author. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that makes sense that she would put a book out about that. I love her freeness and her freedom that she lives to be completely and authentically herself. Um, I use a lot of her work in my real, well, the work that I do now, um, Mm -hmm. because she's such, you know, it's just, she's just a good, good person. So for those of you who want to know, her name is um, Adrienne Marie, M-A-R-E-E Brown. Okay. Okay. So we're here for the pleasure. We're here for joy. Um, How do... How did you decide, okay, you you did a call for people who were interested in doing it. So tell us about your first trip. I mean, I know someone who did the first trip, so I'm sure it's a lot different since the first time, but you're like, hey, let's just do this. The confidence to do a trip in the height of the pandemic, what was going through your mind? Yeah, it was a little scary because I'm actually one of those people that are uh, have anxiety (laughs) so I like my feelings around like catching anything are are way more heightened Um, but one of the things we talked a lot about in that first year was like hey you know we we know we're about to go into the space where it's going to be a group of us in close quarters so leading up to it let's try to like keep our distance from people and like kind of self-quarantine for a little bit so that we can show up into the space okay get tested all of those things so we tried to take the best measures we could and um the way that the the whole weekend was for the most part we kind of were too like within our group um and so luckily we came out fine and there were no no issues um at that time, I don't even, I think by that time we did know being outside was okay. Um, and so most of our tour is outside. So that, that definitely helped. Um, but one of the things that, that showed up for that first year that I think we all can relate to is just having an escape, 
and how training for the tour, because it is a lot of training hours that goes um, into this tour, especially if you've never done anything like this. Um, you're talking day one, we're doing about 125 to 130 miles. Day two, we do 100 miles. And then day three, we finish it off um, with about 50 to 60, depending on how many um, miles we have to go. So it's a lot of miles and it's a lot of, um, it takes a lot of preparation for something like that. Um, one of our riders in particular, Courtney, um, was living in Rhode Island at the time for, for work. And she didn't have any friends for the most part up there, like not outside of her job. And it's quarantine and you got to stay inside. And so it was like this tour came about in a, in a time where she was able to have something to focus on, help her with processing the job because the job was tough. She works in law enforcement and, you know, like there's a lot going on around law enforcement, but she's also a black woman. So there's a lot going on around that. So it was just it was like a storm. And so it was like this tour gave her something to pour herself into and to prepare for. And this was kind of the story for a lot of us was like the bike gave us um, an excuse to go outdoors and to explore our areas and see, see the world in a different kind of way that, you know, you can only find on a bike, honestly. I would have to agree, you know, being able to have a car is one thing, but being able to get out on two wheels and just explore nature that's a whole different experience and it just elevates everything. So did you cap off at a certain amount of women the first year and how do you decide who gets to select and how big it will be? Yeah. Uh, so we have yet to do a cap. Um, honestly, the training kind of like dwindles people down. <laughs> hey, process of elimination. How much I got to train? Oh yeah, I'm straight. Yeah. Yeah, it's truly is the training because like every year we started with like year one, we started with 20 women. Oh, wow. Believe it or not. And by the time we actually got to Harlem where the tour starts, it was five of us. Um, so, you know, like it, it is one of those things where it is a lot, you know, to the training is almost like a part time job. And the thing about women, you know, we, we, if you're a family woman, you've got your family, you've got your work, you've got, you know, taking care of yourself. And now you're trying to add this whole other job on top of it. Um, or if you're, you know, a lot of people that, that I know just have a lot going on in general, we keep, we keep ourselves busy. And now you're talking about adding a part-time job of riding a bike to it, that it can be really hard for, for folks to kind of make it through. Um, one of the things we've done since year one is we've had past um, past tour mates come back as mentors and support for the folks that are training um, this year. This is the first year we've been able to do that because for me as an organizer, that was something where I'm like, man, you know, there are a lot of people really excited about doing this tour and they want to do it, but it gets hard and I wanted them to feel supported and, and know that like, yes, it is going to have hard moments. This is about joy, but it, it's also about athleticism. And that that comes with growth, that comes with the, the growing pains of, of training, you know, when you're trying to like push yourself in a different way physically. 
Um, and so, you know, being able to have the support of the past women who have done this tour come back as like big sisters and mentors throughout the process has proven so far to be, to be really, really helpful because now you don't feel alone. You have people that you can ask who know what this experience is like, because, you know, there are people who have ridden their bikes 250 miles. Sure. But they don't know what the 1928 Legacy Tour experience is. And I'm very passionate about the kind of experience that the women have on this tour, that it's great to be able to have alumni come back and like be able to, to keep the sisterhood going with the next group of women um, that embark on the experience with us. So what is the 1928 what is that about? You know, you say you can, people can ride 250 miles, but they don't know what the 1928 Legacy Tour is all about. So mm -hmm. give us an idea of what type of experience that is. Yeah. So, you know, the big thing for me is I think a lot of times, um, especially for a lot of women, is like we want to do really challenging things, but sometimes it's hard for us to find those spaces where we can kind of push ourselves in a different kind of way. Um, and sometimes it's like, oh, you have to ride at this certain really fast pace. You've got to do all these things that sometimes don't feel very attainable for us. And so the 1928 Legacy Tour experience is about kind of taking the symbolism from the original tour, which is the athleticism, the sisterhood, the history um, and, and, and the joy and embedding that into our experience where we're not, you're not, when you come to sign on for our tour, you're not just signing up to ride three days. I like to say our experience starts 17 weeks before we actually meet up in New York because you have to train. And so throughout that 17 weeks experience, we have training plans with the support of cycling coaches that help us. We have sessions with experts around nutrition, around bike uh, mechanics, around um, the body. Uh, we have check-ins throughout the experience on a monthly basis to see how folks are doing, to, to see how we can support each other. We have um, a group chat where we're able to share things and experiences. Um, because for me, I, it's not about just doing the three days and then like you never touch a bike again. It's called the legacy tour because we not only want to honor the past with our present, but we also want to honor the future and really help enrich and build the future. That also leads into the donations and the fundraising piece that we do. But for these women, I want them to like be able to show up to this tour feeling good, feeling confident and, and know when it's all done. Yeah, it was secondary fun, but it was fun. And they're ready to embark in other, other avenues and do other things on the bike because everything that they've learned, not only did they get to put it into play for themselves, but now they get to carry that into their communities. And that is special, right? That helps keep the, that like, I always say, um, I use the, the analogy around seeds and trees and plants but that's what this is for me. It's like these, these five women were probably inspired by other folks. I know two of the original women, their dads were um, cyclists and that fed into them. And now whether they knew it 95 years ago or not, they're feeding into us. 
and will have the opportunity to feed into others. Um, and so that's part of the experience. We also do a virtual challenge in partnership with Run For All Women for people who can't join us in person. You could take on the challenge from anywhere in the country. Or if you're not a cyclist, you can engage in a running or a walking challenge. You can choose your own challenge. Uh, but it's really about encouraging and inspiring folks to find joy in the outdoors. And the proceeds from that uh, virtual challenge, which is actually, we ex they start on the same day as us, but they get, um, they get to go all the way until the following skip a Sunday, the next Sunday. So they have nine days to be able to do the virtual challenge um, in any kind of way they can. So really engaging with the outdoors in a way that is challenging, but fun for themselves. Um, and the proceeds from that go to different youth programming and youth initiatives. So, um, so far we've raised close to $8,000 to support youth programs in um, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and DC. This year, we are raising funds to support the second annual Chocolate City Community Ride, where we are giving away bikes to local, local youth um, from neighborhoods that are often neglected, experience chronic trauma, and a lot of youth inactivity. Um, and so that, um, that bike giveaway is a fusion between DC's culture of go-go and bikes and really engaging the community to see how bikes can bring them joy outdoors. Phenomenal. That is, uh, it's actually kind of powerful. It's like you're doing a two for and you're creating a legacy in terms of giving back and, you know, allowing other people to share along in this journey. So I just salute what you're doing, but this kind of all wouldn't have like, there was a starter, right, for this. And so mm -hmm. now we get to get into the starter, which is why we're here, right? Yeah. But I did want to make sure that I, I left room for um, you to share the legacy tour because I think that's important. And it's important for an audience to be introduced to an audience who may not know about uh, what you're doing or the legacy of those five Black women who, who toured, again, from New York to Washington, D.C., Y'all, I messed up, so I'm coming back. I don't know where I left off, but that's a lot of miles. And so I think I initially said it was what, 500 miles? Because I'm thinking like 500 because it takes two hours to get from here well, to Philly. Well, it would be 500 round trip. Okay, well. They didn't okay. do it round trip, but it would be round trip. <laughs> okay. Makes me feel a little better because I'm like, oh. yeah. Anyway, because I'm just thinking about, okay, it takes two hours to drive. When you think about 60 plus, ah, never mind. I just messed that math up. Anyway, so it's a 250 mile trip. And I'm grateful. Rolling that hills. Rolling. At that time, the roads were not what they are today. I don't even know if 95 existed back then. Um, the, the types of bikes they were on, likely single speed, likely had wooden heavy metal parts to it. Um, they did it. Easter weekend and judging by uh, the old forecast from back then, it was probably in the thirties. Hence why if you ever see the picture of the five women, they're wearing leather jackets. Um, so there was a lot <laughs> that those women um, had to embark on to, to do such, uh, to do such a, an activity. And like, 
they did their tour a little different than we're going to be doing ours where um, our day one is very similar from Philadelphia. I mean, from, from Harlem to Philadelphia um, for day two, they only went from Philadelphia to Wilmington, which is about 30 miles, but the remaining amount of time, they went from Wilmington straight to DC and they didn't just stop when they got to DC. They rode around the tidal basin, the monuments, Haynes point, rode up to Howard, rode around Howard before staying at the local YWCA, which is still in operation off of Rhode Island Avenue here in DC, um, and then took the train to go back home. So those, those women, I mean, it might not have been 500 miles, but they certainly <laughs> put in some work doing that tour. I think it, in my heart, I feel like it's 500 miles, right? Because back in those, in that day, they didn't have bikes that were what, 10, 12 speed now, automatic shifters. I'm looking at the steel bikes and I'm just wild. But anyway, this happened because of a lull in the tri-space, right? No one could do anything. It caused you to research. You are a duathlete, triathlete, back to duathlete. And I say that because people need to know it's okay to change your mind and it's okay to do other things. That's why this is multi-sport. I love it. So let's talk a little bit about your experience, which led to you wanting to even do the 1928 project. It all started with a bike and a run. Yeah, um, it truly started with a run. Um, when I first got into like the movement space, um, I was dealing with a lot of like mental health challenges, a breakup. And at the time I didn't know it, that I, ha I had depression. And, um, and so I desperately needed something. I also am not from this area. So during that time, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have any friends. Um, and so a friend of mine was like, Hey, you should, um, check out black girls run. Um, that will give you an opportunity to not only run, but you know, an opportunity to try to make some friends. Um, and from that, it kind of snowballed into like, you, you know, you get in these spaces, you start meeting people, then they tell you about other spaces, they tell you about other things. And so through that, I started um, uh, being a part of another run community. And through that, uh, my friends were forming this team called District Triathlon. And it was a space of, at the time, like mostly black and brown folks that I knew that were getting into this like multi-sport space. And like, I personally had, I think I might've heard of the term triathlon one time in my entire life. And it was certainly one of those things that I was like, oh, that's white people stuff. Like, <laughs> because I didn't know anything, of, I didn't know about anyone. I had never seen anyone, like it was nothing. And here I am in this space where it's all these black and brown people and they're like getting into it. And, you know, it was for a while I had lurked around in their like group chat, um, just kind of following the conversations and seeing what was going on because I was very curious and I'm seeing these people, some of them never knew how to swim. So they're learning how to swim. Now they've gone on to like do Ironmans and stuff like that, which has been so beautiful to see. Um, there were other people who didn't know how to ride bikes really, or what weren't confident on the bike. They're learning how to do that. Some people weren't runners. They're figuring that out. Um, and so it was like, 
really incredible to see people who looked like me that I knew that I felt connected to in a way, um, trying this new sport that was foreign to them, foreign to me, but they were hell bent on like doing it and, and, and excelling in it. And that just really lit a fire in me. Cause now I'm like, well, dang, I kind of want to like, I'm going to be able to like go to the, the workouts and I want to go to the races and you go to a race and you see how exciting and fun it is. And you're like, well, I kind of want to do that. And you know, that's how it got started. And like, thank God for my district triathlon teammates, because this sport is expensive. <laughs> like cycling by itself is expensive. Swimming can be expensive if you, depending on what area you live in. Um, and it's like, you put those together <laughs> and it gets really, really expensive. And, you know, thank God for being a part of a community that was so supportive um, because they helped me find my, my bike. They helped me figure out how to swim. They helped me like my first uh, sports watch was because one of my teammates was like, um, Didon, he was like, I'm upgrading my watch. And you've been so supportive of us, like with our running journeys and things like that, that here, I, I know you need this. And at least this will get you started so it can help you in your journey. I had teammates that were taking me to the races because I don't have a car. Like there was just like a lot of support there that I had gotten within the district tri community that I would have never been doing any, certainly never doing any of this bike stuff if it wasn't for that. And it was a teammate that knew I wanted to get into triathlons that was like, hey, there's a duathlon happening um, if you want to check it out. And she wasn't even planning on racing. She picked me up, took me out to, to the race, was there to encourage me, made a sign and cheered me on and offered advice and like, that's that's where it kind of all like started from there. That was a whole moment in time. I I won't. I, I had been in the tri world prior to district triathlon coming about, and all of a sudden, is you saw this sea of black and brown folks on social media, and I'm like, "Well, where y'all training?" Like, it took me about a year to figure out where you all came from. And one day I happened to do uh, Mayor Bowser has the fresh start race. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be at a diner off of uh, a diner up in Ivy City and saw this group come in with their Adidas sweatsuits on. And it was like this presence. And I was like, oh, these are the district tribe folks. I need to know more about you because it does matter who and how you race and who you see racing. And we say this often about representation and how it matters, but it does. Like I had been doing this, but always felt uncomfortable in the space in which I was in. I'm grateful for my start. I'm grateful for the team that I got to participate with, but it just wasn't enough people that look like me who understood the black girl hair stuff. Like if I get my hair straight, I'm not sweating it out for you for a good week and a half. Don't ask me, don't look at me, don't think about it. Or body shapes. We don't have very thin physiques. Even the thin ones of us, we have curves, we have body, adi, adi. You know, we we got things, right? Culturally speaking, music. We don't always listen to rock and roll or country. Like, can we get a beat at a 
race or something? Can we do a little something different? So to say all that, there's a lot of cultural differences. And I think for me, when I saw the district triathlon crew at the time, shout out to Marcus, who's such a visionary, right? Mm -hmm. I was just like, man, I don't know that. A lot of things have changed since then, but still it's the essence of the introduction of so many people, giving them that start to say, hey, there's a place for you. You fit in here. Yeah. And like that, that cultural thing you talk about is important too, right? Because it's more than just seeing color, the same color. It's, does this space feel like a space that is true to me and that I want to be a part of? And one of the things that Marcus was really good about during that time, like you said, it was a moment was like making it fun and making tries look cool and like, you're like, I want to be a part of this. And like, like I said, for a while, I was lurking in the shadows, just watching. And I started to feel mad FOMO because I'm like, they look like they are having a blast. And then you like hear the conversations about like how they went to go eat afterwards and something funny happened or, you know, and it's just like, yo, I want to be a part of this because this looks like the place to be. And that matters, you know, a place that like it, it fits what's true to you because you're right you show up and this isn't even just in the multi-sport space you show up to some of these runs or cycling events and it's like nothing feels like something you can connect to culturally and it's like you know yeah you said all are welcome and every you know people might be nice but it's just like yeah but like can we actually act as if this space is for different diverse groups of people can we can we throw in different types of music that people can connect to can we have different types of announcers that have their own kind of way that they talk and swag and you know like all of those things make a difference um and so it was it it meant a lot to have district try at that time and you know there were conversations about how things fit you know, that was another thing. It's like, you say that all are welcome in the cycling space, but if I can't fit your bib shorts, am I really welcome? Did you really consider me when you when you made this garment? And that matters, you know, like I'm not the, the curviest woman and I find myself struggling sometimes. So it's just like, imagine somebody else that has way more shape than me. How are they supposed to feel welcome and feel like this is a space for them? S- swimming. Part of one of the big reasons why I it's I got to do a lot of thinking about getting back into the pool, but like how to manage your hair, because that chlorine jacks up your natural hair that already doesn't hold a lot of oil. <laughs> and now that chlorine is just making it worse. So it's, it's, it's a lot to consider. And it really matters to have a community that can speak to all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it matters. And the conversations started at one point so strong, you know, at the beginning of 2020 when all the social unrest. And now we see a lot of it dying down a bit, you know, the diversity matters, but it doesn't matter. Um, And I think, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where you got to think a lot of this stuff is embedded into our, our culture as Americans. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so you're talking about decades and decades and decades of Mm. oppression and um, trauma 
and it's not going to change in a year or two. And I think during COVID, people were stuck at home. So they were ultra aware of what was happening in society in a different way. I call it the great awakening during that time. But at some point, fatigue set in for a lot of folks. The world is starting to open back up. So now I can get back to my normal. And that's what a lot of people were rushing to do. And now that they're back at their normal, it's like, all right, guys, we gave you some time. We gave you some shine. Like, isn't that enough? And it's like, no, it's not. You literally have to shift your thinking in the way you see the world to really make an impact. It is more than just putting black and brown faces on a post and saying it's diversity. Just like we spoke about, it goes into the apparel. It goes into the, the music you hear at an event. There's so many layers to this because it is all embedded in our society of how we show up in the world. And that means that sometimes our biases show up in the world right. in these spaces that we say are just for sport. Right. No, you're, you're so right. And I, I, I was getting lost for words, but it, it matters who's making the decisions about the races. It matters who's making these decisions and who's at the table and who's thoughtful of that. And so I just, you know, one of my prayers is that we will continue to see a growth spurt, sp not only just a growth spurt, 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 I can't even say the word, a growth <laughs> spurt, growth spurt, but also a cultural shift. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I was with Ed Chang and he was saying it's about people becoming uncomfortable with learning more about other people. And when you get to that shift of being uncomfortable with learning about others and their cultures, then it kind of shifts you and it changes you to want to be more accepting, want to be more inviting and, you know, changing what your circle looks like initially. So. Yeah, and I would even take that an extra step because as you learn about others, you also start to learn about yourself. Thanks. And part of it is like, yes, it's great to learn about others, but what are you going to do with that information? How does that information play into how you now show up into the spaces you go into? Yeah. So, you know, like we also have to be real with ourselves that whether we understand it or not, sometimes we are showing up with blinders on because it made us feel comfortable. And yeah, maybe turning on rap music doesn't make me feel comfortable. So I didn't even, I, I don't do it. But you didn't think about how maybe that rap music is gonna bring in another type of person that comes in that might've been curious about this space that now can feel comfortable and feel like, oh, okay, I think I could be here too. Um, of course, music, I keep going back to music. That's just like one tiny, like superficial example, but these things do matter. Um, is really looking at like how how we can how can we shift and change ourselves? Yeah, all good stuff. So all that to say, you did your first duathlon. <laughs> we went down a whole rabbit tail trail. Uh, you did your first duathlon, and then you said, "Okay, I'm ready for my first triathlon." And Tell us about your first triathlon and duathlon experience, because I think it's important for people to know your journey. Yeah, uh, the duathlon I felt pretty okay. I mean, I'm more of a runner, so there's two parts that are running. So those are like my comfy spaces. The bike was a little um, was a little different, but it wasn't too bad. The 
my first try though, oh man, the way I was shaking and I was so scared because water, I love water, but I am terrified in the water. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I had put in a lot of work thanks to, you know, our practices at District Try and um, members like Yayo and Marcus who have a lot of, and Didon and um, uh, what's her name, Daniela, folks who have a strong swimming background um, who worked with me and really tried to help build my skills um, and my comfort in the water. And um, it was my first try was a pool try. Actually, all the tries I've done were pool tries um, because I am still not a very strong swimmer and pretty uncomfortable um, in like deep water. Um, And so I still don't even know how to tread water really, but I knew I wanted to be a triathlete and I wanted to give the sport a try. And so for me, it was like the thing that I taught myself was like, all right, let's practice swimming from end to end. Because, you know, if you stop in the middle, you can't really tread water. You better hope that you can grab something because otherwise you're in trouble. (laughs) So it's like that. But it was actually motivation for me to build my swimming strength because it's like, well, I know I got to make it from this wall to this wall. So, um, but, you know, thankful for, for events like that, where, you know, it's pools. And so if you're somebody who don't, doesn't feel comfortable in open water, you still get to have a taste of the sport. And if you decide like, oh man, you really like this, you can venture out into the open water space. I haven't done it yet just because, again, I don't have access to a car, which means I don't have access to open water to practice. Um, but it's like having those pool triathlons were really, really helpful. Um, but like I said, I was so scared. I was shaky. Um, for me, the water is kind of cool because I am someone who does also have anxiety and the water kind of forces me to ground myself in a different kind of way. And it really helped me learn my self-talk. And how in the moment you can't focus on your fear. You got to focus on what what your movements are and what you're trying to accomplish. And so like really, uh, it's almost like finding myself in meditative spaces um, whenever I would be in the pool swimming. Um, And I I think I I pretty much made it out of that first segment uh, okay. Um, I know that there's been a couple times since then where like someone might have hit my foot and it like threw me out of whack. (laughs) But it was like also, again, learning how to like bring yourself back into the moment. Um, But yeah, I mean, and then, you know, for me, I typically end the swim, if not last, second to last. Um, But I know I'm a pretty strong person on the bike and running. And so I've always been able to kind of make up for what I lack in that discipline in the other two. Okay. So I want to sign up whenever you're ready. Uh, You have a ride to open water swim. We're going to go to the Potomac though, because we don't do the Chesapeake Bay no more. (laughs) Anytime you want to come, we can go out there to the... uh, what is it? The National Harbor? I got you. So okay. You know when you're ready. Uh, okay. I got to get back in the pool. I haven't been, I haven't been in water in uh, mm-hmm. what, two years now? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm putting the challenge out there. Because yeah. if you can do amazing things like the 1928 Legacy Tour, 
oh, yeah. overcome your fears. I know we can get you in that open water and think about how much more of a legacy you're creating in that way. Just a little challenge, you know. I can oh no, I want to take sure. it on. The, my problem is also scheduling too. I do too many things. So, <laughs> but I want to make it happen because I do think one, it's a life skill, right? Mm -hmm. Like anything can happen and you need to know how to, to save yourself. Yeah. My saving grace is like, I'll swim for as long as I can swim or then turn onto my back and just float. <laughs> But I, it would be nice to be able to like tread water and just know that like I'll be okay if I were ever if I were to ever fall into water. Um, and it's something that I know, like I talk to my sisters and other family members, like when are you going to get your kid in the pool? When are you going to start learning, like teaching them how to swim? Because it, it, we should know these things. And it's unfortunate that I'm in my mid thirties and I still don't know how to tread water, but it is something that I certainly want to do soon because I want to make sure when I have my children that I can be out there because they're going to learn for sure. But I want to be out there with them um, enjoying the water. That's right. Because you live somebody's mama. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So I also wanted, I'm glad that you shared your experience because you're still doing duathlons today. And I think it's okay for those of you who are listening to go back and forth in between whatever gives you, what was that peace? Well, joy and pleasure, you know? And so if, if you need to take a break from triathlons for a second to find some joy in just doing biking and running, do that. You're still a part of the multi-sport family. There's multiple ways to stay active and there's multiple ways to try. And so never figure, never feel like you only have to do three things and that's it. Uh, as you could, as Keisha said, she does a lot of things and it's still active and it's keeping her moving. And so I just wanted to encourage you if it's, if you can't run, it's okay. You got Aquathon. Um, did I say that correct? Aquathon? Whatever. It's uh, or Aquabike. Aquabike. I think. I, I feel like Aquavella is what I was thinking about. Oh, okay. But, you know, yes, Aquabike. You, there's multiple ways. So there's just plenty of ways to do it. Uh, Keisha, I appreciate you. I thank you for joining us. For those of you who want to know, uh, the legacy tour is the 1928 legacy tour is coming up May 26. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's around Labor Day weekend. Uh, so you definitely, that, what? Me and my I made that mistake too. That's why I know now. <laughs> uh, oh. Memorial Day, y'all. Memorial, yes, Memorial Day. Moment. I, anyway, yes, Memorial Day. I've had two <laughs> oops, the, the, the 500 miles and then Memorial you Day. You know what this shows though? Like you're an imperfect human. Yeah. Right. Let's yeah, normalize. Right. Let's normalize the fact that sometimes we're going to misspeak. And it's true. It's but hard. I to normalize editing. This is me having to edit this <laughs> but it's okay because it's making me stronger and i i appreciate getting the opportunities and i believe that i think i'm probably leave that you know the the challenged points in there you know because you're right i am imperfect and we do have to not um uh we have to normalize imperfection mm -hmm. and showcase it and oftentimes i feel because i am a black woman in this space i don't get necessarily the grace to make the mistakes. And so um, I remember, I think I was interviewing um, Colleen Quigley 
and something major happened. And I was like, so frustrated and was like, I am a black woman. Like, this is me talking to her. I was like, I am a black woman in this sport and I don't get to make these kind of mistakes. The mistake was I forgot to hit record when I first interview. Oh. And I was just like, oh. and even though it could be self-imposed, right? No one else is putting that pressure on me. But from our trauma of, you know, being showcased or people, oh, her style is a little not what we're looking for. You know, it's just a lot of things that I hear. And it comes out sometimes when I'm doing my work. And so I have to work extra hard to make sure it's right, especially since I'm doing, you know, the production and stuff myself. I, I want to make sure that it's a quality that is as professional as possible with the, the, the tools and resources that I have. And so y'all got a mouthful and that wasn't even, you know, but like, here's the thing though, true equality is our ability to also show up normal or show up as, um, what's the, the thing, mediocre or, you know, to have our moments, right? Because there are other folks in this world that get to show up imperfect. They make all the mistakes in the world and they still get the opportunities. They still are able to shine. And so what, is, what are we saying when we're telling people of color or black women that like you always have to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, then you're gonna miss out on this opportunity. Then, it, then that opportunity wasn't supposed, supposed to be for you. And it certainly isn't that, that equitable space that you're, you know, that you're claiming you want to create, right? Like the, I love black girl magic, right? But black girl magic also shows that you have to be exceptional and you have to be like, that's the thing with Major Taylor, right? We know Major Taylor because he was the exceptional, right? But there were other black cyclists during his time who didn't get the opportunity to even prove if they could be exceptional. Right. He did. We know his name, but like, yeah, let's also celebrate the people who might not always show up as exceptional, but they are still exactly. extraordinary beings. Right. And so like you make your, you, you make your snafus. Okay. But you're human. You corrected it. You caught it. Right. Like that means something too. So it does giving ourselves yeah. grace to show up as our authentic selves and yeah. our authentic selves are not always perfect. Yeah, it's not, it's not. And more and more, I'm giving myself so much more grace, right? And and it feels good. And if people want you, they want you. And if they don't, it's their loss, right? Because you know, at least I know what I bring to a situation. And uh, it's just interesting to see how the tables, as the world evolves, you talk about being equitable and the world still isn't equitable. And maybe the world will never be equitable in its totality, but we can do our part to make sure we're showing up and we are doing and living in a way that is equitable for others. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that will catch fire. Um, yeah, because well, every we, time we, you make a flaw, you're also like, I also look at it too, like people are looking at us and inspired by us, whether we know it or not. And when we show up in ways that may not be perfect, people can relate to those moments, right? People can relate and connect to the fact that sometimes you're not always going to be on it. 
And those are the moments that allow people to feel empowered to be like, you know what, I can also show up as myself. And even when it's not always my greatest moment, as they always say, it's not about just that moment, but it's how you move from that moment. So, you know, you're a leader in this space. And I know I've always looked at you and been like, man, she's always so on it and always so charismatic. And like, all right, you, you might've messed up on 500 miles, whatever, but like, that doesn't change the fact that I'm like, okay, yeah, she is human. Okay. She's not always perfect. And this is great. Cause like, I can also like do the same thing. Okay, cool. Like, you know, (laughs) we out here. Out here and we're doing it. You know, we're not trying to do it. We are doing it. And mm-hmm. I think that speaks a lot of being able to show up. I appreciate that. I, I thank you. And, you know, I just appreciate the fact that we are both leaders in our respective industries and the fact that we show up and are doing something that no one, not necessarily no one has ever done, but having the, being vulnerable, but being vulnerable enough to share it with the world. Mm-hmm. That to me is powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, the judgment and all, you know, cause guess what? The people who are casting the judgments ain't doing nothing. So there's that. <laughs> and yeah. so I, I just appreciate, you know, people who follow their dreams or that intuitive spirit that says, Hey, you should do this. But then you say, well, that's dumb. Nobody wants to hear it, but you still do it. You, you push past the voices in your head put something out to make something up. I'm sure when you were thinking of doing the 1928 legacy tour uh, and creating major Knox adventures, you were like, man, but I may not have all the tools and the resources. And you had that one head saying one thing and the other head saying another thing, but you pushed past it. And so for those of you who have engaged in this conversation today and you're trying to do something Try beginner's luck goes to me beyond just triathlon. It's really trying in life. And uh, it's really being able to push yourself beyond what you think is comfortable, whether you quote unquote win or not. I don't think that there is a failure that you can't grow from or learn from because that's how you get to where you are. And that's greatness is when you can push past your failures and still show up and still do a thing. So y'all, we talked a lot today. We went off the rails today, but I am a wholehearted believer it needed to be said. Everything that we said needed to happen today. And so I wouldn't have wanted it to be with anyone else beyond you, Keisha. I appreciate you. I can't let you go without some rapid fire questions. So with that said, we're going to get going. Um, where is your favorite place to bike? Uh, it's going to be between the National Arboretum or Anacostia Park, um, for two different reasons. Uh, National Arboretum, beautiful views, little punchy climbs when I'm in training mode, um, Anacostia Park because it's gorgeous. And also it's the one place in the city that I see the most black folks experiencing joy in all shapes and forms. 
Um, and it, I, I love it so much. So I love to go over there and ride um, to, to just be around my people and see them like having great times with them, their families, their loved ones, or just by themselves. I love it. How many bikes do you own? Because you said that, you know, you biking is your main form of transportation and there's this thing called M plus one. So how many bikes do you own? I am going to be off the Richter scale of your typical cyclist. I have two. <laughs> I actually still have the bike that um, was my first bike. That's actually still the bike that I race on. It's like my everything bike. It's a steel Univega. Um, I, I need to be getting another bike soon so that I can um, get a, a, a bike that's better for crit racing. But um and then my other bike is a gravel bike that I got from Radical Adventure Riders. They had a grant um, to inspire folks to go out on adventures. Um, it was inspired by a friend of theirs. Um, it's called the S.J. Brooks Scholarship. And um, yeah, they awarded me a, a gravel bike so that I can experience some adventures there. Wow, we didn't even talk about crit racing because I think I forgot that you do crit. What what don't you do? And that you're doing it on a steel bike. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it it certainly makes things a little harder, but you know, it's it's the bike I have right now. I think that's the other important thing too for folks to know. Like, use what you have, you know, like. Some people, and trust me, a lot of people <laughs> will try to tell you, you have to have this, that, and the fourth. But if you ain't got the money for it, you ain't got the space for it, or you have other priorities, then you use what you have. Um, and so that's the space I'm in right now where my steel Univega is my bike. It's the bike I have. So it's the bike that I, I tour with. It's the bike that I race with. It's my everything bike. It's my commuter bike. It's all of it. Wow. What? What? Okay. Focus. What's your go-to workout? Uh, ooh, let's see. <laughs> it depends. I'm somewhere between doing just a chill run around my neighborhood. And I like, I say the chill because there's an intimacy that you get from like, you know, just kind of being in your comfortable pace. And really getting to see, you know, wave to your neighbors and say hi and, and make eye contact with people. Also, like, just, you know, you see your neighborhoods in different ways. Um, so it's between just doing a nice, comfortable zone two run or uh, being down at Haynes Point and, like, really trying to, like, hit my VO2 max, get some VO2 max workouts in um, so that I could be able to race those crits. <laughs> If you had to decide and could only pick one, would you cycle or bike? Uh, you cycle or bike or cycle or run? <laughs> you know what I mean? Cycle or run? See that? Okay. Oh gosh, sorry. Would you? I mean, but I, you know, funny thing is, some people consider cycling and biking two different, different. things. You're right. But I, in my mind, I was thinking, could you? Would you? And I was literally, I was considering actually the difference between cycling and biking. <laughs> um, 
Um, but yeah, no, uh, it would, it would be cycling or biking. <laughs> um, and if I had to choose between cycling or biking, I would say biking for pleasure and like really get into like, again, see my neighborhood, see the city, see whatever city I'm in. Cause I like to travel with my bike. Um, just getting ready, get like checking out the history and the culture of different cities. Um, just biking around the city doing that. I love it. And I know you don't do long distances in racing, but on your tour long mileage, do you pee on the bike or stop and take a proper pee break? Oh, we're stopping. We don't, I don't play those games. (laughs) I don't know that life. figured if it's raining outside you don't want to stop yeah I've heard of people doing stuff like that especially on like the different tours like European the European circuit um no it's not that deep to me like we can we can stop (laughs) and that's maybe that's because I'm not at an elite level maybe I'd feel differently at an elite level but I just can't imagine (laughs) uh thank you so much Keisha let people know where they can find you yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Keisha, K-E-S-H-I-A dot row, R-O. Um, you can check out what Major Knox Adventures is doing at Major Knox Adventures on Instagram, or you could check out our website and join our mailing list at MajorKnoxAdventures.com. Um, we are currently promoting for our 1928 Legacy Tour Virtual Challenge. So we would love to have you all join, whether you decide to swim, bike, run, whatever you'd like to do, it's choose your own adventure. But the point is to challenge yourself in some way, especially to get outdoors and experience radical joy, whatever that looks like for you. Um, as I said earlier, the proceeds from that helps to provide bikes and experiences for youth in DC to also get outside and get moving. Um, Yeah, so we have that going on, have a lot going on. You can follow me there and um, thank you again for the opportunity. It's my pleasure, thank you. And whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win. I'm LaShonda Shines and we are out. Peace. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.